Hello, comedy fans. Donnell Rawlings is a longtime stand-up comedian and actor whose credits for the latter include Chappelle Show and The Wire. I had a chance to speak with Donnell prior to his participation at this year's Moon Tower Comedy Festival in Austin. It returns in person this year, of course, and is sponsored by Just for Laughs, which is a big deal in the comedy world. If you'd like to get tickets or badges for the festival, go to MoontowerComedyFest.com. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Donnell. Well, uh, thanks for the time today, man. I really appreciate it. You spend a fair amount of time in Austin, too, if I'm not mistaken. I know I saw you performing with uh, Chappelle and Rogan a couple years ago at Stubbs. And I feel like you, you come through Vulcan a couple times a year as well. Uh, I haven't. Done, I think I did it. Yeah, my first time in Vulcan was when we were like kind of like in not the heart of the pandemic, but it was like popping up then. But I really fell in love with that venue. And I can't uh, I'm excited to uh, come back and perform with this festival. But Vulcan, it kind of I really kind of connected with it last time I was there. I've been to Vulcan uh, a couple different times to see various acts. Uh Seen Rogan there a few times, Tony Hinchcliffe, a couple of others like that. And it is a unique venue to watch comedy. And what do you like so much about it? It gives me, uh, it gives you like rock and roll vibes. You know what I'm saying? Like the position of the stage, the way uh, it's elevated, the balcony area. And it's so funny because the first time I performed there, and I don't think anybody's ever done it. I was like, that would be a great venue to do a, a, a special. And I even started like in my brain, I was like, I had to slow, I had to, the, the amp music going from the green room, going to the side, walking past people, walking down them steps, walking through the audience, back onto the stage, stage. And then it just puts you in this very, very powerful, powerful position. I think that that club um, definitely gives like rock music vibes and it makes you want to turn your set up. It feels like there's a sweet spot on that stage, too, because if you're at the front of the stage, I mean, there are people who could kiss your feet if you wanted them to. But if you're that far up at the front of the stage, the people up high aren't going to be able to see you very well either. I mean, you, you got you're so close to that stage. Not only could they kiss your feet. I mean, they could. I mean, I'll just leave it alone. Bro. <laughs> That's I'll just fair. put it like that. I just I'll just put it like that. That distance is very interesting. I'll say that. So I'm a big fan of your comedy. Got to see you, uh, as I just mentioned, with Rogan and Chappelle. Uh, I mean, heart of the pandemic. I mean, those outdoor shows at Stubbs, some of them were really cold, but it was hilarious. It was a great setup there, too. And uh, you're a bit of a throwback as a comedian. There really isn't a subject uh, that scares you at all. Uh, what is your mentality with regards to telling jokes on stage, Donnell? The I don't think it should be ever questioned with a co comedian. But my mentality is whatever you feel to be funny you should speak on it but with that said you know some people filter themselves but there's always some consequence to what you're saying but when you start with comedy when you start saying oh if something comes up to you and you say to yourself that's funny and then if you have to go but wait oh but who's it's ugly man you gotta you just gotta you just got to go for it. And this, this doesn't mean being reckless in, your, in, 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 a, in the choices you make. And like everybody's talking about freedom of speech. I know you have freedom of speech, but also you have, you have to be responsible in the things that you say. Freedom of speech doesn't mean, I don't think you should just take advantage of 
I have the right to say what I want, but some of the things that you say may not be responsible. Some of the things that you say may hurt a group of people or whatever. But I think the best comics are the ones that can decipher and know. Sometimes I said even in my in my tagline on my on my podcast and everything, sometimes a joke can be too soon, but it never can be too soon for a funny observation. Mm. You know? And I think if you have a classic, a classy way of approaching like that, you know, you'll be a you'll be a dope comic. But I my style has even in the uh in the era of cancel culture, late cancel um culture in an area of everybody's offended about everything. I haven't wavered from what makes me Donnell Rawlins. And that's not me trying to be a rebel. It's not me trying to go against the grain. It's just who I am. And it made it to the point where, you know, I do a lot of stuff on, I get some acting work every once in a while and I do some TV stuff. But the thing, and I tell every, every all the time that I work for the people that have been supporting me for 27 years. You know what I'm saying? I never wanted to be a big movie star. I never wanted to be a big TV star. The only thing I wanted to do, I wanted to do some of those things just so people could get introduced to me to want to go see me do a stand-up. You know, so like to this day, bro, like I could never do another television show or a movie and I would be good. I would be good with just touring. I'd be good with going on a couple months, spending more time with my son and that, you know? It's interesting that you say that uh, the acting thing isn't that big a deal for you because you've been a part of some major operations. Of course, everybody's going to remember you from the Chappelle show. Folks may not uh, recall that you were a part of The Wire, a couple different seasons of The Wire, seasons one and season five. And uh, you were a voice of uh, one of the secondary characters in the fantastic Pixar flick Soul just last year. What was the experience like working with David Simon and that cast on The Wire a couple different seasons? That the the crazy thing about uh, the wire, I was a very young actor, didn't have too much experience with anything. In fact, I used to get rattled in auditions, and um, I I did this audition, and I swear I thought I was bombing. Right, casting director said, "Donnell, it's okay, it's just me, you in the room, and God." And you know when you throw God in the room with any black person, it's like you get like, da, 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 da. <laughs> I didn't know God was with me, you know. And I was like, "Am I talking to God or am I looking at God?" Right. <laughs> so, um, so, and that still didn't God didn't even mean enough for me to, I say, deliver a great performance. So I was like, "Okay, I'll deal with God, whatever." And I do it, and I thought I tanked on it, and um. When I got on set, the first thing I asked David Simon, I was like, yo, man, I don't know how I got here. I said, what am I doing here? How did I get here? And he said, we love the fact that you threw the lines away. He started talking to me as an actor. He said, we love the fact you threw the lines away and you found something else. And I wanted to say, I didn't throw the lines away. I didn't remember the lines. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to be a thespian like, you know, that's part of my process when I was, right? Because the, in the, and I, I didn't pay attention. The, ad, the character was a heroin addict. And now when I look back at it, I know what he meant. He's, and he said, and you didn't fall into the stereotype. Like everybody was going there like, like, a, like a junkie. Like, yeah, man. But they didn't want to see that part of the character. They wanted to see who this guy was hmm. not high. You know, so... Me and not having too much experience with reading the scripts and the auditions led to me being on one of the most iconic shows um, on 
television. Wait a minute. Uh-oh, I missed something very, very important. The description, what I just told you was with me being on HBO's The Corner, which The Wire was a spinoff. I know you're looking at what I'm talking about, which was a, was, which was a spinoff. The Wire was a spinoff to The Corner. Yep. So what I did was introduce you to how I got my first relationship with David Simon. And what happened with that was he loves to work with actors he worked with in the past. So because of what I did as the heroin addict on The Corner, he wanted me to, to be on HBO's The Wire. And that's how I got that. That's how I built that relationship with him. That's interesting. Did he ask you to be a part of the uh, Treme group too? No, I auditioned for that, you know. Mm. But he could suggest, but he still had other people to answer to. Right. Treme, I wasn't lucky enough to um, uh, be a part of that. But uh, being a part of The Corner um, and The Wire, uh, it was amazing. I was reading this article years ago. And one of the one of the um, entertainment magazines, and they listed the top one hundred shows in the history of television, and The Wire made that list, and Chappelle Show made that list. So I was mm -hmm. like, "Oh man, you got a pretty nice resume for a guy that never took any uh, acting classes or anything like that." You know, people may not realize this, but uh, you also served in the military back in the nineteen eighties. How did that shape you as a person? Oh, I mean, uh, it was a good thing for me because I didn't really know what I wanted to do out of high school, right? I wasn't going to go to college and I didn't really have any technical training or anything, especially for people from my community. Sometimes the military is not so much your patriotic, but it's a nice transition from, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do in my life. Get some responsibility, get some travel, get, started, just get your credit, you know, just a, it's like, again, from like where I'm from, the military was like our ghetto college, you know, it was our fraternity and everything. So, um, yeah, I went into to the Air Force at the age of 17. I was a military police officer for four years. I was probably the worst cop in the history of military police. Made no arrests. I do remember one interaction I had with a young lady coming through the gate. I thought she was hot. So it was the only time I even pulled anybody over, you know, and I was trying to have a conversation with her. But in, at, at that point in my life, it was a perfect transition. I went in at 17. Uh, I got out at 21, 22. I was waiting to be a D.C. police officer in Washington, D.C., because that's what I was trained with in the military. I got the comedy bug, and 27 years later, I had to look back. So wait a second. Did you start your comedy career in D.C. then? And if so, is that where you and Chappelle yeah. first connected? Well, me and Chappelle connected in New York. Chappelle was... Okay. Uh, class ahead of mine with comedy but we always like when you know if you're from someone's hometown and you see guys making moves you kind of look up to them you're like oh man they left this is an example you can make it from here so i knew of him as i started i think he probably had a year and a half over me but we had a mutual respect because of we both left um we both had great reputations in dc as the guys to look out for they're really good and they probably can make an impact in the business well, people don't realize this. D.C. is one of the hotbeds for stand-up comics, especially in that late 80s, early 1990s era. There are so many dudes who ended up becoming big time, yourself included, who uh, who started out in D.C. at open mics and whatnot. Yeah, and then you got to remember the time frame that you spoke of, especially particularly for black comedians, because black comedy was on fire at that time. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? You had the B.T., you had Def Jam, which definitely 
gave a lot of uh, unseen talent that was seasoned a platform to be seen. Because back in the day, you had like Letterman, you had like Leno, but it wasn't a lot of slots. They probably did like 12 comedians out of the year. And it was just this whole community of, it was a movement that was going on with black comedy. And uh, the networks couldn't cater to everything. So thankful thankful to Russell Simmons and Stan Latham to, to understand what that void was, to fill it, to get HBO to believe in it enough to create a platform for, for a launching pad for so many guys that were bubbling underground and just needed another opportunity. Was there any epiphanous moment where you realized that you really could make a run to try and turn stand-up comedy into your career and your life? Well, the first time I ever did a sh- my show, because I started as a heckler from my seat, right? And I started, people started coming to the open mic just to hear that a-hole talk trash. <laughs> so I started to build a following for that. So the first time I touched stage, it was, I had such a strong support group of people like, yeah, we want you to do it. We want you to do it. Like we're rooting for this guy. And the first time I ever touched the mic, I got to stand and oh, and, and it was in that moment that I knew that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I wasn't thinking about being a cop. I was thinking about getting fired from my job so I could get unemployment, you know what I mean? And just go to New York. And I did that. I got fired from my job. They gave me a year worth of unemployment. I moved to New York. I slept on my friend's couch for like four or five months and I never looked back. And like, I never uh, gave myself a plan B. I've never got an alternative job to support myself. It was like, if I'm broke, I'm broke. But do I have enough money to get some bologna, some eggs, and some cheese, and some, a bag of potatoes? If I could do that, I was good. And I, people always, they see your career, and they only see, like, where they want to come into it, where it was exciting for them. They don't see the grind. And I always tell people, especially in entertainment, you're in this field, and you know how important it is to be able to be happy with nothing. That's the biggest thing, bruh. If you can be happy with nothing and you eat off of your dream that you could turn into reality, where you could scale down to like, God damn it, I only got enough money for some ramen noodles, but then you start jazzing them noodles up, you add some soy sauce to them. You put some vegetables. You know what I'm saying? You make it work, man. And if you can live that that way, this business it'll 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 it won't be as hard. God damn, that's beautifully put. Now you said that you started out as a bit of a heckler. Has crowd work always been a part of your act? And if so, is that something that you still do from time to time to get yourself comfortable on stage? No, that, a lot of times crowd work is it's a lot of times it's you having fear. A lot of times crowd work, it's like when I started, it wasn't respected. Hmm. What was respected was your set. One of these regular jokes, without how old, how, how, without how long you guys been married, without where you from. Like when a comic used to go into that, when I started, it was like, oh, here you go. You know, but it is an art to it. But now it's just like, literally, I've seen comics that will do a show without, with all crowd work. I know it is a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a talent to do it. But me personally, I still think it's easy because one, once you single somebody out, the, you got that, Oh, it's a factor that you get just because people think it's off the cuff. 
You know what I mean? Just because it's in that moment. But, you know, when I started, it was like uh, you would go, you, were, you would do a crowd work when you ran out of material, when you didn't have any other jokes, you know. But my show is like, I don't have a show where I try to embarrass the audience. I just, I have fun with the audience. Even when, if you heckle me, I don't believe in kicking hecklers out. Hmm. Not until I annihilate them. Not until I destroy them. If it gets to a point where it's distracting to the audience, that's one thing. But sometimes you can have a nice exchange with somebody in the audience that's not really maliciously trying to um, hurt you, but a person that thinks they're funny and they want to join the party. They don't want to do the open mics. They want to crash your party. So we can have fun with it. Yeah, there's probably different levels to the crowd work. One is making a fool out of some jackass who thinks it's his time to speak when he just needs to sit there and enjoy the show. And then there's also maybe doing crowd work at times where you kind of turn the joke back on yourself to where you're not embarrassing that person too badly. Like you're letting them in on the joke. They're a part of it, but ultimately the joke's on you as well, at least uh, in terms of the crowd work that I see that I I think uh, they do a good job of incorporating it as a part of the show. But I I can see what you're saying about it being low-hanging fruit where uh, you're not confident enough in your material so you're having to turn on to something that uh that's a little bit easier yeah and then your material a lot of times something like with me a lot of times i have like things in the moment and i like i turn them into bits you know mm-hmm. i don't have a my writing process is reps you know what i mean how many times i shoot the ball is going to determine how much better i get at shooting free throws you know and i'm not trying to discredit any comments that are good at crowd work but for me i just like to have a, a, a stronger skill set it just rely on an interaction with the audience. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, you talked about uh, possibly shooting a special at Vulcan. It sounds like uh, you're feeling pretty good about your act right now. Is a special forthcoming, Donnell? Yeah, um, I did one like six months ago for Netflix. Okay. Had a release release date and everything. Um, it was probably it was going to be part of the rollout with Dave Chappelle's uh, the home team, but I shot it six months ago, and in that moment. When I shot it in that moment, it felt like the best set I could have done in that moment. But as time went on and I realized that I had a lot of COVID material in there, I had a lot of stuff that was just only going to be relatable now. And myself and Dave, it was the toughest decision for me to do because I already got paid for the special. But to say, okay, this is good, but if it's going to come under the umbrella of Chappelle, executive producer, it can't be good. It has to be great. So right now, you know, I've revamped my set. I've taken the stuff that's well that would date the special, and I'm trying to create and produce a classic special that you know don't serve any time. It's like you could put it in now, you could put it in 20 years from now, and it still hits you the same way. I assume that's what you're going to be uh, working with at Moon Tower here at the end of the month. Yeah, part of it. You know, okay. what I'm saying there's certain things that. You know, I'm just going to keep like, like, be like on the low to myself. But for the most part, you know, it, it is the development stage of what I'm going to do for the next one. Love it. Uh, I uh, understand that you're friends with Chris Rock. What did you think about the craziness at the Oscars a week and a half ago? I thought it was unfortunate all parties involved. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can, I can choose. It's so many things that I could see what was troubling on both ends. You know what I'm saying? I really respect Chris Rock. He's an icon. He's a Mount Rushmore guy. And Will Smith is an icon. You know what I'm saying? Like, in regard to what they've done for entertainment, and specifically for me being a Black comedian, you know, you can't 
taken away from them. And just, it's an unfortunate, very unfortunate incident on so many sides of it. A comic being disrespected like that, a person that felt like they were disrespected and probably act in a way that if they would have had three more minutes, they wouldn't have done, you know? It's just like, I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to tarnish anything that any of those guys have done for entertainment. But, you know, with anything, there's going to be some consequences. You know, I could see with Will, I, I've been in situations where I've cracked. Enough is enough. Hmm. I reacted off of emotion and not with, with my brain. I've been in situations with Chris where someone approached the stage and tried to assault me. But I will say it's happened to me three times. And every time it's happened to me, I put them paws on them before they even could load up. You know, I'm like, yeah, I've had situations where people try to come on stage with me. And I said, imminent danger. And I went to work, dude. Boop, bop, 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 bop. But then. Oh, you come out. Any, you're you're saying you, you're saying you come out swinging as soon as they set foot on stage. I swing, I, I swing first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Already know. It all depends. You can gauge what they're coming for. Now, you can tell if you you can feel the energy. You can look at the man's eyes feel like there's something going on. And at both times, and part of it was fear. I was like, I'm not going to let you hurt me, and especially in front of an audience. Right. So I set it off. I'm not saying that that's the rule, and that's how I handled it then, but those times that it happened, I was doing these, these things happening in, in a dive bar. You know, they, they, ha- they, they, they happened in a dive bar in a place where, you know, it wasn't a, a career move or anything. It was a place where I could get away with beating somebody up. <laughs> right. That was it. Well, it's funny, but, you know, people inevitably go with a conspiracy theory and people are like, oh, Chris Rock kept his hands behind his back. He knew it was coming. It's like, no, he was on a huge stage. Will Smith had just laughed at that joke. It wasn't even a great joke necessarily, but he thought Will Smith was going to come up and give him a little slap on the face. And it turned into something uh, much harder than that. Let me tell you something. You know, like, like, like rich people walk in a certain way. They carry, you watch anybody that's really wealthy in a tux and watch how they stand and how they move. It's the hand behind his back. It's like he had that, I beg your pardon. He was worried about his appearance. He was worried about looking good. And Will Smith, he wears suits too, but Will Smith unbuttoned his button. Whenever a man unbuttons that button, he's preparing himself for something. That's true. Any movie, any movie you see with an Italian stomping somebody out, they unbutton it, they stomp them out, and they button it back, and they fix their tie. Very well said. Donnell Rawlings is a comedian and actor, and he is a part of this year's Moon Tower Comedy Festival. You can actually check it out. Get tickets at MoontowerComedyFest.com. Donnell, thank you so much for the time today. Really enjoyed the chat. Hope, hopefully this isn't the last time. All right. And in the closing, I'd just like to say, Hungry Itch, bitch! Okay. There it is. Donnell, thank you so much, man. Big fan. All right. Thank you, brother.